Open your Bibles to Jude again this morning. We have this morning and next Lord's Day, by His grace, if He's willing to finish the book of Jude. We will then be in on Labor Day weekend, September the 5th, Lord willing, Psalm 47. And then uh, beginning our fall series, uh, my family and I will take a, a couple of Sundays off uh, for vacation. Uh, we've not been out of town in two years. I love Midland, but Midland's getting old. Uh, so it's time to see some different scenery. So we're going to take a couple of Sundays off. And then in the fall, we're going to begin into the Gospel of John. So I cannot wait for that view of the glory of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of John. So that's the roadmap ahead over the coming weeks. But let's focus our attention this morning on Jude, verses 17 through 23. Jude writes this in his closing section, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority, before all time, and now, and forever. Amen. Father, help us again. Open your word before us by the power and the hand of your Spirit, the same Spirit who wrote these words and inspired them. Speak to us now. Free us from deadly distraction that would hinder your purpose and work in our lives. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Savior our King, for whom we anxiously await. Amen. Distractions can be deadly, whether it's texting and driving. Perhaps it could be ignoring uh, the health symptoms because you're too busy to go to the doctor and you don't feel that you have the time nor the desire to hear what the doctor might say. But Jude presents a distraction before us this morning that is ultimately even more deadly. It's a distraction of a spiritual nature. We can, brothers and sisters, be focused upon good things, but things that prevent us from being spiritually healthy and spiritually sound. We can focus upon a number of issues, a number of things that that, that are good things and maybe even for a season necessary things, but ultimately work to our detriment because they do not ultimately help us to grow and to become the healthy people of God that he has created us to be. You know from the series that we've been working through that Jude's concern has largely been regarding false teachers. This is necessary. It is necessary to warn against false teachers that creep in unaware, as he says in verse 4, Those things do happen, and I think in our day and age, brothers and sisters, that is happening at a far more alarming pace and in far more subtle and alarming ways than perhaps Jude would even have imagined. And so it is right and it is good to do those things and for uh, seasons of time to have to deal and address those things. But ultimately, Jude's interest, if you remember the beginning of the book, is not to set out just to point out the error of false teaching, as necessary as that may be. Jude's main concern is the spiritual good of the people. And he addresses the false teachers because they are ultimately working against the spiritual good of the people, working against their common salvation, verse 3, that Jude wanted to speak about. 
Jude wanted to rehearse with them all that they are and all that they have in Christ and all that Christ has done for them. And yet, in order to do that, for a season he departs to address these false teachers. Well, in the text before us this morning, he brings us back to verse 3. Yes, he still addresses false teaching, but he does so in such a way that he is bringing us back around to that heart, that overarching desire of Jude to strengthen the people of God in their own spiritual health. He just can't get away from that. He loves these people. So I guess if we had to state it, in other words, it isn't just for the thrill of naming all that is wrong that Jude has written this letter, but it is also naming what is wrong so that the heart of the people is protected. It's the heart of the shepherd that Jude exhibits here. He is wanting to protect his people for their spiritual growth and their spiritual good, not just to call out what is wrong. His real concern is for the believers in his day and you and I this morning as God has preserved this letter for us. We see that exceedingly clear as Jude closes this short letter. As is obvious and is pointed out by Tom Schreiner in his commentary, Jude has and continues to write in groupings of three. And so Jude gives us three things for our spiritual health as we close this letter that I want you to be aware of this morning. And we'll only get to the first two and we will address the third next Lord's Day, Lord willing. And those three things are this. Jude wants the believers for their own spiritual well-being and their own spiritual health to focus on three things. Number one, reflect. Number two, remain. And number three, rest. Reflect, remain, and rest in order to be a spiritually mature, spiritually sound person. These are the three pathways that Jude points out for their spiritual health and the stability, not only for their health, but for ours as well. For every Christian in every age, even in the most difficult and most challenging circumstances, these truths apply. And so that's my heart for you as your pastor, as your under-shepherd this morning, that, that you would focus upon these three things for your life as well. The greatest way to be the, 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 the cancer of false teaching is spiritual health. The stronger you are, the easier it is to ward off the disease. To build your spiritual immune system is what we want to focus on this morning. And so Jude, first of all, focuses us on a pathway of reflecting upon something. Now I want you to notice what might appear to be a subtle shift, but is an important shift nonetheless. Notice verse 17. Jude says this, but you. Notice that prior to this, beginning in verse 4, Jude has been addressing them meaning the false teachers. Now Jude shifts, and he, in, in his closing moments, he, in his pattern of threes, as he's done throughout the letter, says this, but you. I want to talk about you now. Let's focus on you. And that, and that again, is a critical shift. It's not only telling us that these people do exist and what their identifying traits are. He's done that, and he's done that very well. But we as Christians must understand how it is that we need to take what's been said and apply it to our own lives. It is not irrelevant. It is not unimportant. And so Jude now says, but you do these things. They are doing these things. I want you to focus upon these things. It's never the Bible's ideal, brothers and sisters, that Christians only examine and blast false teachers. The Lord knows they need it. The Lord knows sometimes we need to do that. But more importantly, for the moment at hand, our task is to examine our own lives. But you, how healthy are you? How strong are you? How strong is your spiritual immune system? How well do you know the scripture so that you can refute that which is false and believe that which is true? 
You cannot be sustained by merely blasting what is an error. That will not feed you. That will not build you. Sure, it's wrong. You're right to point that out. But at some point, it's time for you personally to grow in what is right and true. Some excel at what they call polemic ministries or discernment ministries where they are helpful in pointing out what is wrong. But brothers and sisters, unless we also point out what is right, we will be inherently weak people. We must know what is true as well as what is false. If you went to a doctor and all he said to you was, here's your diagnosis of illness, but I have no hope of treating you. You'd leave and say, what kind of doctor is that? I want answers. I want solutions. Not just diagnosing me, but fix me. So Jude does that for us this morning. And he instructs his readers to do that in a very specific way. And the first thing that he does is call them to remember something, to reflect on something, to, to ruminate over it, to meditate upon it, to bring it to remembrance. Like a family at a family reunion who sits around and recounts all the great memories that have been made over the years. Jude says, listen, here's how I want you to do that. I first of all want you to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice by setting them apart, Jude does not consider himself an apostle. He said, I'm going to refer you to the apostles. I want you to listen to what they had to say. Remember, remember, reflect. Brothers and sisters, if you want to do an interesting study, go throughout Scripture and look at every time that the people of God are guilty of forgetting And you will find without fail that those are problematic times in their lives. When we forget who God is, when we forget the goodness of God, when we forget sound doctrine, that is when we are most susceptible and the least healthy. A book was published a number of years ago entitled Preaching as Remembering. Why? Because we as human beings, as fallen human beings, tend to forget what God has said and what God has done. And if we are to be healthy, we must be reflecting and remembering people. And we cannot do that apart from the word of God. It's not enough. Notice that Jude does not exhort them to focus and remember their experience. Jude doesn't say, hey, remember all those times when you had uh, good feelings and positive spiritual energy and and good vibes uh, because you had an emotional experience or you, you think you made some decision that brought you closer to Christ. Notice what he says, remember the words. Remember, in other words, the scriptures. Live in the text. Live in the doctrine preached by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, boy, that sounds dry and dull. Until you read the book of Acts. And the church in its earliest days did nothing but give themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. And what happened in those early days? The church turned the world upside down. Why? Because they stayed rooted in the power of God for them. Revealed in sound doctrine, revealed in scripture. And that empowered the world to make changes that the church today only dreams of. Brothers and sisters, do you want to make an impact? Do you want to be the church that is so strong, so healthy, that it does what Jesus speaks of in Matthew 16, assaulting the very gates of hell and overcoming them? Then this is what you do. In the face of false teachers, you step aside and remember the teaching of the apostles and the sound doctrine and the word of God which they gave to us. Is that what you want? Do you want to stand strong? Do you want to take the fight to the enemy? Then do this. Remember. Remember. Again, there appears to be three things that Jude would have us to remember specifically. Number one, the authority. 
the authority of the Word of God. Remember that when these people were encountering such difficulties as a false teacher, what they are doing has been prophesied by the apostles. The apostles had the authority to speak to this, to predict this. It was spoken beforehand. We think about Paul in Acts chapter 20 as he goes before the Ephesian elders and he says, know this, that in future times, savage wolves are going to come. They will not spare the flock. Beforehand, Paul spoke of them. Beforehand, Peter prophesied that these false teachers would come. And now in Jude's day, they are here. They are not coming. They have arrived. They have surrounded the church. They have infiltrated the church. And the authority of these men in the perfect tense, and speaking of it as completed action, In these last times, they have spoken about this. They have prophesied about this with every authority, and it has been proven true. Therefore, brothers and sisters, don't be distracted from that authority. Don't be distracted by feel-good Christian living. Don't be distracted by so many other things that could take you away from this one book, which was spoken long ago beforehand and now is at hand. This is where we need to spend the majority of our time. This is the basis of our authority, of our hope, of our confidence. We must take it seriously and we must take it personally because it has been spoken with such authority. It's very dangerous for Christians or professing Christians, we'll say it that way, to be dismissive of false teachers and false teaching as if it has no bearing upon us. But equally as dangerous is for professing Christians to neglect the milk and meat of the word. That is the source of your strength. That is the source of your authority. You have no authority. You have no hope of standing apart from this. It can't happen. This is the means by which God has given us. The second thing that Peter, or I'm sorry, Jude wants us to focus on is the prophecy at hand, specifically the prophecies of all the apostles uh, regarding these individuals. If you question the Bible's accuracy, the Bible's uh, claims to be the very word of God to be inspired. It is amazing to look at all the predictions and consistency of those predictions throughout scripture, even as it relates to false teachers. Again, building on the foundation of the apostles, Jude says, they are my authority. I am not my own authority. They being chosen by God, God speaking through them, that is my authority. But listen to their authority. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. This now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Do you hear what Peter's doing? He's having to remind as well. They have forgotten that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. That's Peter's prophecy in Jude's day. Jude is having to live this prophecy. They will mock the truth. They will mock that which Jude calls us to remember. Anybody who leads you to minimize or put away the word of God or mocks the word of God are those who should be marked and avoided. They will mock the truth. Look at Jude, verse 18. Remember the apostles, and again, he's quoting Peter here. In the last time, there will be mockers, those who by subtle remark or by teaching contrary in an outright fashion to the faith once for all delivered by the apostles. For your own good, brothers and sisters, do not be so distracted, so off guard, that you sit there and let them pump the garbage into your ears and mind. Take notice. Guard yourselves. These people have come, and you have been authoritatively warned against them. You know, 
I, I look at Peter's day and I look at Jude's day and I think, man, that must have been a very difficult day to live. But, you know, I think today it may be even harder. At least in Jude's day, they didn't have to worry about the proliferation of podcasts on your phone, the Internet, the, prolifer- the pro- proliferation of books. And all the garbage that you can find in so-called Christian bookstores, it can be a confusing and scary landscape to try and navigate. How much more for us do we need to be careful of those who mock the truth? Those who do not say, as Jude says, refer to the word of God, but rather say things like, well, God told me, well, my spirit says, well, this, that, or the other. That is a mockery of scripture, and that is a mockery of the apostles' authoritative teaching. Run. If you want to be healthy, don't even give them an audience. Don't listen to the cults as they try to rebrand themselves as Well, we're really just a different strain of Christianity. No, they are not. And no, they should not be listened to or entertained, even in the slightest, because they are so clever and coy at slipping in that which mocks the truth. Some do it openly. We've seen them. It's not hard to turn on TBN and go, well, that's wrong. It's much more difficult to... Take those who claim to be in the church, who claim to be elders, as in Acts 20, in the church, who are slipping in doubt, who say things like, well, we have a lot of questions, but not a lot of answers. Those are mockers. Why? Because the truth has been spoken. Answers have been given that are inspired by God on the authority of God. And we must listen to that in order to be spiritually healthy rather than entertain Again, that which is evil and wrong. These people are motivated by their own lusts. You're healthy if you realize that. Jesus says, listen, you need to be aware. You need to build yourself up. You need to be listening to the authority of Scripture. Look at these people built on their own lust. Every false teacher stands to profit from his error. Every one of them. Every one of them. They reject the truth, not because they really find it objectionable, but because it stands in the way of their personal gain. They may know it's true, but it does not allow them to manipulate and fill their pockets or stroke their ego. And so they shun sound teaching. Show me a false teacher and I will show you someone who seeks to gain something from what they're doing. Jude's concern is the collateral damage done to these believers who might get too close to such a self-serving purpose. How many of you have ever known somebody who was self-serving? Everybody in their life was just a stepping stone to get to the next stone. That's a painful thing, isn't it? And nobody enjoys that and nobody wants to be around that. And Jude says, be aware, there are teachers who will do that to you. And it will leave you harmed and weak. But then Jude wants us to focus on the treasure. The treasure that is involved. It doesn't take a skilled tracker to track someone out in the wilderness through snow and mud. Anybody can see those footprints. Those footprints are easily recognizable just like a false teacher. You can spot them a mile away, some of them. And they're all the same, and Jude wants you to be able to see them by their tracks, what they leave behind. And for your own spiritual good, you need to be able to, uh, to see what they've done. And this knowledge, this understanding for your own spiritual good and your own warning as you reflect back on these things is helpful for you. Notice what he says. These are the ones who cause divisions. They cause division. We've been going through our series on wokeness and the church at 930. The first mark of wokeness and wokeism in our day is this deconstruction, divide, destroy everything, erode the foundations. And that's the mark of a false teacher. And you can track a false teacher by the divisions that they cause among the body. 
It's not possible for a false teacher to live within a body of believers and not do that. It is the necessary fruit of error and wrong teaching. Wherever they go, they divide or they kill it completely. It's the only two options. And if you've ever personally encountered a false teacher, one who teaches in in contradiction to the scriptures, you know the terror that this brings even years later. I've encountered such people in my my life, and as I look back, it literally makes me sweat. It literally ties a knot in my stomach to have been so close to something like that. It's a terrible feeling to have survived the pain and confusion of such individuals as something that must not be unfamiliar. Jude wants them to remember how that feels and what that is like to be part of something that is ripping and tearing. It's a treasure to be able to remember such things because it is a warning to you. It's like your body uh, spiking a fever. It is warning you. Yeah, it's not pleasant, but it's telling you something's wrong. Listen to it. They're worldly minded. The New King James translates this as sensual people. The wisdom they bring in is devilish because it is from this world. James describes these very people and their worldliness in James 3 by saying, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down or this wisdom is not that which comes down from above but is earthly natural and demonic for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist there is disorder and every evil thing that's pretty clear isn't it that's pretty clear those are pretty clear tracks to follow and yet they're so subtle at times we need to to realize that We need the Spirit's help and the Spirit's discernment and the Word of God to see those things before they develop. Notice what he goes on to say again. Not only are these things true, but they are devoid of the Spirit. They're absolutely empty of the Spirit of God. While we cannot be certain who the false teachers were in Jude's day, it is interesting that Jude mentions their absolute lack of, of the spirit it's also of great interest that so many false teachers from gnostics to charismatics to mystic pagans place such emphasis on the spirit as the justification for their false teaching well the spirit told me why why do they say such things because you can't prove anything different how do you question someone's experience that's very difficult to do But if we're going to argue and contend from a point of revealed truth that equalizes everybody and levels the playing ground for everybody, now we've got something to work with. But they don't want that because they can be proven wrong in that way. And so although they tend to talk much about the Spirit, Jude says they are devoid of the Spirit. That reminds me of so much of what seems to be going on in our current cultural moment. The very thing they're screaming about is the very thing they're doing. It's a, hey, look over here, while they reach around over here. Jude says they're devoid of the spirit which they love to focus on. Regardless of what euphoric or experiential nonsense they engender, there is no spirit there. And Jude wants you to know that. Don't be deceived into falling into that. There's nothing there for you. You have the Spirit of God within you. At the moment of your conversion, at the moment of your salvation, you were given the Spirit of God, not in part, but in the whole. Jude says the reality is this. They have none of the Spirit, and the Spirit has none of them. And on that great day, there will be a great reckoning of their lives. Titus 1.16, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. 
for your own good, you need to remember these things. Treasure these things up in your heart as warning signs for your own good. So that you do not end up deceived by these people. Don't think for a moment, brothers and sisters, that any of us are free from the injury if we give ground to these false teachers. Don't give them anything. Don't give them an inch. Don't read one of their books. Don't take one of their podcasts. Shun it all. Why? Because if there is truth to be had, that truth can be found somewhere else that does not come with all the lies. Well, you know, I'm going to drink this bottle of poison because there's 5% of something good in it. And there's 95% poison. Why not just go to the source of all good and all truth, the scriptures, and rest there? Jude continues on in verse 20 with strengthening that which remains. He calls him to remember the things that he has been going over. Now again in verse 20, notice how he begins verse 20, the same way he begins verse 17. But you. These are, these are clearly marking out a path for us. And so his second thought is that, hey, listen, you need to remember those things now, but you need to remain. You need to do something else. It's not merely enough to reject what is false. Now we get to really the point in which we begin to imbibe in what is healthy. Polemicism against error, as I said earlier, is no substitute for growth in grace and in truth. So rather than spending all of our times throwing the rocks at that which is false, let's use some of those rocks to build a house, to build a castle, to build a fortress that the enemy cannot penetrate into. And so Jude gives us five actions here in the following verses that need to take us toward that building process to strengthen the faith that remains. John 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So what does Jude say to that end? He says this, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. What faith? The faith that he spoke about in verse 3. The faith that he wanted uh, to write to them about. The faith that he held in common with them. It's not something new. Jude is calling them actually to something very old. So old, in fact, that it was given by God before the foundation of the earth. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth that would come to fruition later. Jude wants us to focus on that. What's the call? The call is to a lifetime of building spiritual muscle. At 40, almost 46, I'm learning one thing very quickly. Muscle doesn't build nearly as fast at 46 as it did at 26. If it builds at all. That's my fear. But Jude calls us to a lifetime of building spiritual muscle, which is always possible. Unlike physical decline, spiritual Growth and spiritual maturity is always possible. And we're to do it in the faith, not, a, not an abstract faith, not your faith as opposed to my faith, but the common faith, verse 3, the common salvation. It's not a mystic thing. It's not a subjective thing. It's very objective. It is the knowledge of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the gospel that Jesus saves sinners by His life, death, burial, and resurrection. There is no other course for us to pursue, brothers and sisters. We must build ourselves up in this most holy faith. Paul was no less familiar with such challenges. In the face of difficulty, this was Paul's charge as well. I referenced earlier his conversation or his address to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And in verse 32, this is what he says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Not to just go out and do the best you can and write your own workout plan to build this spiritual muscle, but to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up. 
what builds you up? The word of his grace. Not the word of a man. Not the good intentions of our heart. But the word of God's grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know, I've got to be honest. There are people, as, we, as my dad prayed for earlier, in Afghanistan who this very day will probably stand before their Savior. They will exit this life and they will enter that life. And they may do so more sound and more fit and more spiritually healthy than so many American Christians. Why? They've only had one thing to build themselves up on and that is the Word of God. They don't have all the distractions and all the garbage and all the false... Let me tell you where false teachers don't go. Afghanistan. That costs you something. That prepares you for heaven. They're not interested in heaven. They want heaven on earth now. And so they don't go to places that prepare you for heaven. They go for what benefits themselves. Remember, it's out for their own good. And the reality is that we need to build ourselves up in the most holy faith so that when our Afghanistan moment comes, we will not be found absent, but standing. Ready, eager to meet our Lord Jesus, to stand by the truth. Healthy plants are hard to kill, so put your roots deep into the Word of God. Put your roots deep into the faith that Scripture spells out, not other people. The substance of our soil, the rock of our foundation, is none other than God revealed in Christ. So build there. Plant there. Put your stones there. Lay them down. Tack them to the foundation and do not move. Just keep building. And when you finish one wall, build another one. Don't ever stop. But then he says, and as you're doing this, pray in the Holy Spirit. Tom Schreiner writes this, Believers cannot keep themselves in God's love without depending on Him by petitioning Him in prayer. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray in dependence and submission to the will of God. That is how we remain healthy. That is how we fight these battles. To commune with Him, seeking what His will is for us. Prayer is not to get what we want, but to make us what He wants. And that is Jude's exhortation to these believers. We're walking in a world, brothers and sisters, where our dependence upon God is more vital than we can ever realize. It's like, boy, it's, it's a dark day. It's a tough day. It's a challenging day in which we live. You know, it is. But it's also a glorious day. Because it's driving us back to these truths. It's forcing us to, to count what really matters and to, to love the truth and to love our Savior, to walk with our Savior, and to learn to pray and to depend upon Him. What a great day! How could we possibly look at that as a negative? We are walking in our dependence upon God. And Jude says, as that becomes, these false teachers and the trials you endure become more obvious, it will stretch you and you must pray when the battle becomes more acutely felt and you know for a fact you're engaged in a spiritual battle. Paul echoes the same thought in his section on spiritual warfare. Paul doesn't close with a great speech Paul's not Churchill rousing the troops before D-Day or before Dunkirk and its evacuation. Paul's not that man. Here is Paul. He has just spoken to us about the reality that we are at war. And the troubling thing about this war is that you can't see the enemy. And you can't fight him with the ways that you normally would fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. 
And we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness and high places. You can't fight that like a normal battle. And so in the midst of that terrifying and yet real battle, Paul says this, with all prayer. Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For I which, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Wow. That in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Michael Green writes and says, The battle against false teaching is not won by argument. It is won by prayer. We, 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 have you noticed you don't change very many people's hearts by arguing? Have you noticed that in our evangelism that the battles really aren't won by how well we make the presentation? The battle is won when the Spirit of God changes the heart. And that is why evangelism begins with prayer. That's why spiritual battles are won on our knees, not on our feet. And Jude says you must pray. And then he goes on and he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is not saying that we are the ones who keep our salvation. We don't. We are kept in our salvation by God. But Jude says we must keep ourselves in the love of God. What does he mean by that? He means that we are simply to walk in the love for God, which comes from God. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. What does it mean to keep in the love of God? To keep loving God, to stoke the fires of love for God more and more and more. Tom Schreiner, as he takes this passage apart, these closing verses that we read as we opened, says that this is the center point. This is the apex of this entire section. To stay white hot and fervent in our love for God. As we walk with the Lord, as our faith grows, as we become more dependent in prayer, as we, we grow in our anxiousness of, and desire for Jesus to come. Hey, and let's face it, the days that we're living in have also fostered that in true believers. Come, Lord Jesus. As you watch the news unfold in Afghanistan, Come, Lord Jesus. Come in all of your glory and your power and your majesty and rule the nations. I'm not asking to get out of trouble. We want to see you rule and reign. We want the Taliban to know who's king. We want the United States government to know who's king. We want the whole world to know you're king and that you rule in righteousness. So come and bring that. We love you. We want to see that. That's our desire. Why? Because we love the Lord. And there's a blessing pronounced upon all those who love his appearing. And so Jude says, the more you keep yourself in the love of God, the more these things will naturally happen. Everything surrounds this idea of loving God. John 15, verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Just stay here. Plant here. Build here. Rest here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. How do we know that we're loving God? When we do what God wants us to do. When we live how God wants us to love, we know that we're loving the Father. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and I abide in His love, these things have I spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. heard someone say a long time ago, if you're fighting a battle and there's no joy in the battle, you're fighting the wrong battle. Why? Because the fight for truth is a joyous fight. 
Because we're filled with the truth. We're filled with a love for God that causes a love for the truth. Are you joyful? If you're not, you're fighting the wrong battle or you're fighting the right battle in the wrong way. And Jude is here to correct our vision and our thinking about that. And then we'll have to finish with this this morning. In verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Waiting for Jesus to come. The mercy that we wait on is the mercy that will then spring us into action in verse 22. When we realize, as Martin Luther said, that we are merely a brand plucked from the fire. That God has had infinite mercy on us and that when he returns, it will be an act of mercy for us. It will cause us then to act in mercy towards others. There is a coming mercy, brothers and sisters. Regardless of what we see going on around us today, there is mercy coming for those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. There's judgment for those who do not, but there is mercy for those who do. And we must be careful that we keep ourselves fixed on that reality. When Christ comes for his children, he will come with mercy never before known. There will be a mercy that we have never tasted. As the world melts down around us and yet we are spared, there will be mercy that we've not yet experienced. The glory of God and the love of God will be clearly and inarguably manifest on that day. Nobody can argue with it. Nobody can deny it. Like a child waiting for Christmas morning, we ought to be eagerly waiting for Jesus to come. Like a bridegroom waiting for his wedding day, he just can't wait. Do we wait like that for Jesus? Is that our greatest hope? Or is it some other earthly thing? Notice what Paul says, and I'll close with this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Not when Christ, who is our escape mechanism, appears. But when Christ who consumes all of our life appears, then you too will be revealed with him in glory. Is Christ your life? Do you find your living in him or in something else? If it's in something else, you will not anxiously wait. You will have no joy in the battle. But when Christ who is our life appears, then we will be revealed with him in all of his glory. And our joy will be made finally complete. Nothing keeps us loving God more than a desire to be with Christ at his coming. Nothing keeps us waiting more for his return than loving him. The two go hand in hand. Brothers and sisters, are you waiting? Are you convinced? Have you tasted the goodness of the Lord through his son Jesus who is coming? Oh, if you want to be healthy, if you want to nurture yourself, if you want to be built up in such a way that you'll withstand all of the onslaught of the spiritual battles of this world. These are the things to focus on. These are the things to remember and reflect on. These are the things to remain vigilant in. Let's pray. Father, you have been more than merciful to us in giving us your word. Lord, I pray for my own life and the life of everyone here and listening that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of God. 
that because of these things, because of the, the rooting and the love of God, because of the building and the foundation that is laid in the love of God, that they would be able to see and know what is false. That they would love what is good. That they would treasure the truth of your word. That they would live in dependence upon your spirit. That they would spend increasing time in prayer with you. As we all anxiously await the return of your son, the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we do pray that by your spirit whom you have sent, that you would make us more like you, loving the Father and demonstrating that love in the obedience to his commands. Whatever they may be. Prepare us, strengthen us, feed us, build us, nurture us. To be discerning people free from distractions of this world and to focus on the things which Jude has given us here as waypoints and signs and tracks to be observed and to be lived by. Now, Sovereign Father, we pray because salvation belongs to you and not to us. That if there is one who is here this morning or listening who has never fully placed their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope of salvation, Father, we pray that your Spirit would convince them of the truth, convict them of their sin, and then drive them to Jesus, and that they would place their faith in your Son and in your Son alone. Cause them to know the joy of salvation, we pray. Save those, Father, who are in need of salvation that can only come from you. And for those of us who have been granted and given that salvation already, may we rejoice in it and worship you for it. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.